Hello and welcome to I Spit on Your Grade, the Vampire Edition. It's me, Mercer, joined as always by my beautiful Creatures of the Night, mm. Faye Ellis, Hello. and Christopher Ellis. Hello. Special hello there, see? Yeah. Mercy got a really long, really long hello. Because he's special. Well. So, um, before we crack on, what we've been up to, what we've been, what we've been doing, Do what we've been watching. Watching? Um, nothing apart from our picks this week. The Curse of Eight O'Clock finishes, as per usual, so... However, we did manage to at least watch the first episode of Season 2 of The Twilight Zone. Yes, which is very good. Very good indeed. It's, it was um, a gentleman who started to hear a voice in his head, um, started talking to this girl in his head, worked out he wasn't going crazy. It was genuinely somebody talking to him and then he goes to meet her, but it all gets a bit complicated. It's a really good episode. Nice, nice. I am um, also, I've only focused on vampire films this week. I've actually rewatched quite a few because I was torn with my own decision. Um, so that were nice. Nice and not so nice. Sometimes I don't like revisiting films because you've got this memory of how great it is. So there you go, oh, what did I love so much? What film are you referring to there? I'm actually referring to Twins of Evil. So I was obsessed with Twins of Evil when I was growing up. Um, and it is still a really good film, but I was a bit like, this is not how I remember it. Like, I remember it being darker and, and I remember being more obsessed with the, the two lead actresses and thought they were absolutely magnific- magnificent. This time I were a bit like, all oh, right, yeah, okay. fair enough. That's why I did pick Twins of Evil. <laughs> This is the episode this week. We will we will sit here explaining why we haven't picked stuff, and then we'll just put the tweet out with a poll so people can vote on their favourite. <laughs> Our favourite unchosen film. Mm. So, I guess as, then we should maybe have a look at some of the feedback we got this week. Sure. Sure. Um, should we mix things up a bit? Oh, why not? Go on then, Chris. Give me some. Of it. I will, Mercer. I'll give you it. Hard. I'm sat right here. (laughs) Mostly all the more delicious. Oh, my God. Right, Facebook. We we shouted out to ask you for your favourite vampire films. Loads and loads and loads of responses this week, so thank you very much, everyone. Really appreciate you weighing in. We just skipped through a couple. Ricky Moonga. About 87 choices, I think, he put down for this one. To <laughs> be fair, he broke it down into subcategories. Ricky, thank you very much. So, classic, snooty classic film, Blood for Dracula. Tortured loan film, Obsessive, let the right one in. Slot Greasy, Nightly Stoner, Lost Boys. Northeast New Metals, Skid Kid, Blade or Blade 2. Disney Princess, Dark Side, Interview of a Vampire. David Williams, Taste the Blood of Dracula, favourite vampire film and favourite hammer flick combined. So, thank you, David. When we do Best Hammer Film, we've got your nomination already. Mm. Stevie Reeve, Nosferatu, Mark Davis, Near Dark, Mal Jutley, The Lost Boys, and Jane Patrick Duffy, Let the Right One In For Me. I'm not sure if this is a sequel. or. It's... <laughs> I appreciate No, I appreciate the pity laugh from you. 
and absolutely nothing from Mercer whatsoever. Fine, I don't know why I'm, I'm the sheer comedic heartbeat of this podcast sometimes. I really don't know. I'm sorry. Lewis came in with From Dust Till Dawn. Great, great choice. Mm-hmm. Superb. And Lewis as well, bless him. He gave us a really, really nice post, so I'm going to read it out in full because it's only short. Okay. So, speaking of episodes, your last one was well and truly amazing. Miss going anywhere this year and just listening to the list of great films and moments was just to cheer up I needed. Thank to all involved and keep up the great work. That is really, really nice feedback. So, thank you for that. Yeah. If we pronounce your name that way. (laughs) So, that is all from the Facebook post though so would you like to go troll for our twitter feed and find out what people have been recommending there mercer yeah so twitter we had quite a few back so um it's so confusing now because everyone's got the halloween names (laughs) so we had a darkman gasco aka at darren underscore gasco near dark it's catherine bigelow for vlad's sake see what he did there for vlad's sake Brilliantly shot, great performances, amazing tra- soundtrack, excellent script. Okay, they don't actually ever use the word vampire, but but that's fine. I think if they if they bite or suck blood, they are vampires, in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, New Horror Express, New Horror Express came in with ooh, so many faves to choose from, but we would like to nominate or let the right one in which we also think is the best horror film of the last 20 years. Bold claim? It's a very bold claim. Might be wrong, but... <laughs> but opinions, there. Yeah? Opinions, we're all allowed them. Uh, Sandy Gautra came in with Salem's Lot. Nice. Nice. Uh, Laura Porter, clearly Lost Boys is the best. But a shout-out to Buffy, though. Good old Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We had a cheeky little um, plug from the Soho Horror Film Festival. We'd like to nominate The Incredible Sunset on the River Sticks and Danny and the Vampire, as well as our brilliant shows Teething and First Night from this November's festival. You've got our details, Mitch Harrod. You have my bank details in particular. Pay for your advertising. <laughs> I am sure they're going to be absolute bangers, like I said in the tweet, because he would not have put them on if they weren't good. To be fair, we had quite a lot of tweets um, with lots of different recommendations, but I'm not going to go through them all. I think primarily people tend to cover the same film, so we've got a lot of Blade, a lot of Dust Dawn, a lot of uh, Lost Boys, a lot of Near Dark, a lot of um, Interview with a Vampire... Yeah. Let me in. So there's like quite a lot. So obviously we had to pick our favourite one. So this week we're going to start with a public one. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to count down our top five, and then we can start our public. So in fifth place was Let Me In. This year, this year move from toes of toes of voice for that intro. This year got. And at number five, let me in. <laughs> no, that was two radio, what? sorry. It was, and at number five, let me in. <laughs> oh, you leave a fucking voicemail. 
the person yeah, call, the person calling is let me in. It's because I'm playing multiple roles, Chris. <laughs> one's the speaker voice, and one's the the person who reads the winners are Jesus wet. I'm just going to do it all in one voice now. <laughs> in fourth place was near dark. Is that better for you? Anyway, so in fourth place, we had Near Dark, the guy from Bigelow film. Uh, in third place, we had From Dust Till Dawn. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, Blade. Oh. Yes. I'm going to say this. I got it right in the first place because I couldn't have sat through that film. And um, the, the look of shock on your face. I love, uh, we love Blade. I think Blade's a brilliant film. What's wrong with Blade? I just find it boring. You're boring. I am boring. I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say I am. Um, I just I tried to watch it so many times and I fell asleep every single time. I just can't get through it. Um, but our number one and the film we're going to first talk about today is that's my drum. 1987's Joel Schumacher directed. The Lost Boys. Woo! So yeah, 1987's The Lost Boys uh, by Joel Schumacher. Quick synopsis, it's the story of Sam and Mike. Sam likes to use Mike's name a lot, I found out from watching this time round. Um, his mother is in the midst of a divorce, so they moved to Santa Carla to move in with their grandpa, who's a taxidermist. Well taxidermist, hunter, builder, that sort of thing. All the while looking like Willie Nelson, not Willie Russell. <laughs> um, when they get there, Michael um, gets turned into a vampire, basically. He drinks some blood that's given to him by uh, Mr. Sutherland, playing David. And he is trying to kill the head vampire so that he is no longer a vampire. Taylor's oldest time. I just want to start off by saying, from the get-go, this film kicks in with an awesome soundtrack. So we've got, initially we've got the Cry um, Little Sister with the choir boys singing, and that sucks you in straight away. But they literally, throughout the film, the soundtrack is amazing. Very uh, 80s, very quite dark soundtrack. Um, I love it. And of course, the best musical moment of any film ever, Mr. Greased Up Saxman. The Saxman, yes. Very good. The song you're singing is very good. Um, and his dance moves are very seductive. And if you didn't know you were in the 80s, just look at the hair. There are mullets aplenty. There is some big, big hair on display. The most impressive hair cut for me is... Um, I don't know if it's Bill or Ted, you, Alex Winters, yeah? Mm-hmm. His hair is somehow a mullet whilst also being a pot of super noodle. Good call. Yeah. They've all got really weird kind of mullet-y um, curly hair, except, mm. for, except for David, who's got, like, you know, a bad boy. Shaggy mullet. mullet. Yeah. It's because he's, he's the lead, that's why. Does stand out. And he's a good lead, mm. if we're honest. If we think about like a vampire group 
or what would you call the collection of vampires? Like witches are a covered, mm. werewolves are a pack. What are vampires? Oh, there is a name for it. There's definitely a name for it. Um, it's a brood, I would say. Yeah. I've got. It a... is. I think it is a brood. So yeah, as as far as a brood. A vampire's ghost. I think he's like that's what I would want as my leader. Yeah. They are tough as well. We when we when we're introduced to them at the start, they are loitering like motherfuckers. It's, it's like one of the lamest crimes you can do is just to fucking loiter. There's no crime there. <laughs> the, um, part of the carousel scene confused me because when they were first like barging round. There were some people sat on the horses just with no acknowledgement that they were there. So initially I was like, oh, are they invisible? And then they like start feeling up that woman and a crazy-ass boyfriend kicks in. I'm like, oh, so they're not invisible. So why were everyone ignoring them? Because if I'm sat on a carousel and some scary morphos like that are walking past me, I'm clinging on, <laughs> like, for deep life. You, you would look even more manly there, Mercy. Would you cling to your big wooden horse while they're watching around? Security guard's really brave to take him on, though. Like, you know, he's not exactly a big muscle man, is he? No. Police brutality, straight out of the gate, though. Then go, you need to move. Trin- nightstick around the throat. Hate crimes against vampires, you know. Joking about the security guard, I think when we see his death, that's kind of a really cool indication of, like, the way that they operate, which is the whole swooping in and just grabbing you from below. You've got no chance to escape from him. I don't understand why he rips the car door off, though. Like, I, I get that he's taken up with such force, but to actually take the car door with him, that's a bit... I think that's really cool. And what I love about them scenes altogether, because we see a couple of them scenes where it's just, like, shots of us moving across, like, the land or the water. I think it's really eerie the way we've got... You can hear the vampires laughing mm. and, like, mocking and making noises. Uh, I think that's a really awesome... Awesome um, that they pulled. Agreed. Directorial choice. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's awesome and it works really well. I think that I think what they're actually laughing at is when we see those last shots. Clearly, there's one who's flying backwards who hasn't quite mastered the flying <laughs> part of being a vampire yet. So what actually what you actually feel is quite eerie is vampires taking the piss out of their other vampire friends. Unless. It's supposed to be that there's a camera attached to the vampire's bum, and that's why we're seeing everything as they move away. But maybe that's how they feed through their bottom, so it's easier to go that way. We're not talking about Butt Boy again. <laughs> go back to the Fright Fest Glasgow special if you want to hear our thoughts on that film. It's shit. Let's focus. So I think we've. Um, we meet Star quite early on, Star and Ladder. And that's what really captures David's attention. Um, now, I would say, the way the relationship between Star and David develops over two days is ridiculous. I said, you're talking about Micah. Mike. Michael. Oh, yeah. Star and Michael, the relationship between them two. Sorry, everyone, for confusing you. Uh, Star and Michael, they're like, he sees her, he follows her and she drives her. Then she comes up to him, and then my David gets all answer, and then they're in love in like two days. That's how it goes sometimes, mate. Maybe that's maybe that's like the going rate of 
fallen in love for vampires. But she's not even a real vampire yet. Anyway, she's probably... I, I, I find her a little... Um, jo- a little off-putting. Like, I, I'm not sure whether I like her or not. See, to me, she's Bill Paxton's girlfriend in Twister and I can't see her in any other way. Even even though I saw this before, she, she is Twister girlfriend now. Mm. Yeah, I just, I just found the, 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 the relationship... I know it's a film and I know they've got to cram it into whatever time frame, um, but because the film doesn't really use much of a passage of time, it really does take place over just a few days, I just found it a bit bizarre. But like you said, maybe vampires like know their emotions more than real people. Vampires love harder and faster. Tell me what they do love doing. They love hanging below railway bridges with trains going over them and falling into an abyss. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that scene is amazing. I love that you don't see anything and that... You know, just the thought of what is beneath that fog. I mean, the fear of falling anyway into something unknown. It's a brilliant scene. I love it. It is quite good. I like, just before that scene, this reminds me of being a kid every time you used to have rice. Um, <laughs> the little magic tricks that they play on in by changing the rice to maggots yeah. and uh, the noodles to worms. And that really, like, like when I was younger, that really used to, that stuck with me a lot. And every time I had rice from Chinese takeaway across road, my rice and my barbecue sauce, I'd have that fear that, is it really my guts? It never was. I mean, to be fair, Mercer, some of the Chinese that we've eaten at around Parson Cross, you don't know, mate. It could have been. The fear of food poisoning is more appropriate for uh, yeah. some of the places we've eaten from. Yeah. Michael is now um, partially becoming a vampire. Um, do you know what you said earlier? Just just as a point of reference, you said that Sam says Michael's name a lot. Yeah. How many is his name said in the film? Legitimately, there's like that scene with Keith Sutherland in him and he's just going, Michael, 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 Michael. I'm like, why are they doing this? Because like, you know like when you like, if you get kidnapped or whatever, you try and humanise yourself by making yourself a person and families on telly, like, use your name to, to the, the killer or the kidnapper will go, oh, I'm not doing all bad to them. Mm-hmm. Why are they, like, why do they do it? It's like, are they humanising him because it's more fun to kill him? Or is that just a really dodgy element of the script where they genuinely believe that in a conversation you use someone's name repeatedly? I don't think in a conversation I've ever used your name for... Except for just now, <laughs> or when I'm introducing you. But I wouldn't say, fair, 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 fair. Even if I were asking you a question, I'd just look at you. I think what happened was, he was, was typing his script, it was used, he was put, right, I want to just use autocorrect just to replace word. He accidentally put the full stop and put Michael instead of another word he was looking for. <laughs> script changed it, every sentence, Michael. Even when he's not on screen, people are saying his name. <laughs> you can hear it from extras in the background, Michael. It's true though, like every single character says his name, like repeated, but apart from that little devil child who, can I just say, when that little devil child goes full on vampire, is that not the same creature from Demons 2? <laughs> yes. To be honest, I was questioning whether it was actually that child during the transformation. I think he's got a body double for that. The same body double from Demons 2. It's got to be. They look exactly the same in the face. They do. Speaking of faces, 
the looks of the vampire I feel are quite understated. They're not with some of our picks, um, especially Chris's, it can go batshit in terms of what you make your vampires look like. But this feels very, like I say, it's not in your face. It's not like a, a monster vampire. It's a classic vampire. It's, you know, the, the bridge of the nose is just... It's like a step up from, like, um, Hamahara Dracula, where it's full human, but, like, fangs. We've got a little bit more, like, face morphing, but they're still human-esque. They're still recognisable as the the character or the person that they are. I, that's the way I, that's how I envision vampires, mm. to be human or human-esque. Yeah. I could see them being, um, I mean, for Scare Factor, I guess it makes sense to have them go, like, fucking mental, deformed, like, creatures, but I don't know, I think I'm more scared of, like, someone who looks human. Well, yeah, that's the thing, in it, with vampires? Like, what we were saying beforehand, vampires tend to be, <laughs> without wanting to box it, vampires tend to be, like, the sexiest horror characters because they do retain that level of human... Humanity, Humanity, humanness, I don't know. And they're always, they're always weird, they're always slightly... Dark, mysterious figures as well. Mm. You never have Dave from the kebab shop become a vampire. But if he did, it probably like his look would improve, and he'd become very like seductive while he was slicing his kebab. <laughs> I reckon with an over the arm, like fine wink. I don't know what a fine wink is. It just felt like right to say, but fine wink, like a little. Like a little curl of the lip up. Like an Elvis lip curl with a little fang poking on and you put it away. Um, like a yeah. snaggle tooth. A little, a, little to- a little tooth tease. Yeah, a little tooth tease. Like they do, but they do that in films, don't they? They do a little tease sometimes. Like, ha, ah, look at me, I've got fangs. And you're like, ooh, shakes it. Who knew teeth porn was a thing? There's definitely something more seductive about vampires mm. um, which is again I guess that's why I prefer the human element of them the, the way they look because you know you might want to bang Keith or Sutherland but you don't want to bang something that looks like it's just that it's face run through a fucking mincemeat grinder deer no by bang as well I mean sexually have like have sex with him not like Bang him with something or hit him. I think Just I think cause... everyone would have got that. I think you were that was fine. I think everyone will have understood. I mean, maybe. Anyway, back to characters. Um, what have we got? We've we've kind of discussed the vampires. Have we discussed Star? Did I mention Star? Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. She's quite forgettable. Um, Diane Weist. I think he's really good in this film. Yeah. What have you pronounced the name? Now, this is from 1987, right? Have you seen her recently? No. She looks exactly the same. Does she? Oh. Honestly, she's not changed one little bit. She's exactly the same. Um, but I quite like her. Um, and I like Grandpa. I think Grandpa's my favourite character. He's such a bitter, twisted kind of 
in his own world, but not. He's a little weirdo. He is weird. Yeah. He's he's like an off the grid kind of stonery kind of yeah, like Cheech and Chong kind yeah, of yeah. Because obviously he's got no TV as he's as they find out. He's very, he's, as you say, he's very much a fence building, hunting. He's like if from Parks and Rec. Ron Swanson. If Ron Swanson. He's like Ron Swanson's dad. Yeah. I do love that he gets the TV guide, though. He just reads it. <laughs> the stuff he comes out with and the stuff Corey Ham comes out with is just gold. Oh, no. The whole Frog Brothers, their, their whole... Sh- 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 I can't stick. Have, <laughs> stick. Stick. I can't, I can't get me words out. Yeah, funny. Hilarious. I'm glad you brought up the front brothers. Most can say doesn't like them. What the hell is Corey Feldman's voice? I know, he sounds about 40. This is two years after the Goonies as well. It sounds like he's trying to be like a cartoon action figure. That's completely it. Cause I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether his voice had broken. That was the way he now sounds. But we've seen him interviewed, and that isn't how he now no. now sounds. So it does seem like he was doing kind of a parody kind of action voice, which is fine. Yeah, it works. But yeah, he does. He does sound about forty. I find him a bit off-putting, um, to be honest, um, and. I always, so obviously we've all seen Lost Boys before, complete, I knew they were the Frog Brothers, but I still forgot that other one existed. Okay. And when he comes on, I'm like, I still kind of forget who you are. Like, I don't think he really adds much, does he? Well, yeah, yeah. He does, it's weird because he does, I think it's just because Corey Feldman's held so beloved, because he has... Exactly the same part as Feldman does in this. Around that, he does the same kind of lines. He has exactly the same kind of character coverage. Coverage. Yeah. But yeah, as you say, when you look, when you go Lost Boys, no one go. When you go, oh, who's in Lost Boys? His name is not the one that pops out at you. Feldman within the first two or three people, you'll say, yeah, is in it. I mean, we've only just watched it. Can anyone tell me his name now? Yes, his first Frog Brother. I feel really bad for him if he's listening to this. So, sorry, we didn't mean to not not know your name. And you are really good in it. You deserve to have been equally as good as Feldman. So to wrap up, Lost Boys is great. It was a great choice. That's fair and saying, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a classic. It, if you come at me with some bullshit, I don't like it. I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to come at you with some bullshit. I don't like it. I just found the overall, the ending a little bit anticlimactic with the, not the, not the, um, when the Lost Boys themselves or Keith and his friends come round and start fighting. All that's great. But when Max is revealed as the head vampire, it's just very quick. He's head vampire and then he's dead. I just found that a little anticlimactic. Well, the thing is, they'd suspected him before, so you have that whole run-up to it. So, you know, he had essentially... It had already been implanted that he was the head. It was just confirming what they thought originally. So I don't think it needed drawing out any further, myself. And then I just don't... Just finally, I just don't understand that grandpa knew to drive his car into Alps. 
No, maybe maybe he's just crashed. Maybe he's getting old. Maybe he came up to the house beforehand, heard everything kicking off, and then went back and got his truck. The thing is, it's not for us to speculate, is it? But you're right, Faye. Overall, Last Place was a good choice. Yes. Move on to the next pick. Let's do it. Moving on to my pick next. Um, absolute childhood favourite. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've watched this film. I absolutely fucking adore it. It is 1985's Fright Night. Absolute banger of a vampire film. Uh, Chris Sarandon is incredible in it and, you know, possibly started some sort of crush. We won't go into that, though. Uh, Got William Ragsdale, Amanda Beers, Roddy McDowell and Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed, who is over the fucking top, is he not? He's just, he's out there, he's something. Um, Friday Night is the story of Charlie. He uh, lives in a quiet suburban town and he gets new neighbours in the form of Jerry Dandridge and his living, I don't know what we call him, living partner? His, his, man, his manservant. His, man fr- his manservant man friend. Um, Charlie becomes suspicious when he sees somebody entering the property and believes they've been killed by Jerry so he makes it his mission to try and out him Uh, he believes first of all as a killer but then finds out he's actually a vampire Um, and the enlist well I said they him and his girlfriend and evil Ed enlist the help of washed up TV horror presenter Roddy McDowell, who's all for it and, you know, just thinks it's some kid being absolutely batshit crazy, but obviously finds out he's a vampire as well. And, yeah, fucking love Fright Night. It is my... F- I know it's... I know watching Fright Night, to some, some are going to say it's crap. I know that because I, this week I've brought the fun. It's, it's just a fun film. There's no going in... There's no depth to it i don't think there's anything that you can really step back and you know analyze it it's just a fun film i can in modern times i can analyze it straight off the straight off the block or straight out of the block charlie gaslighting motherfucker any well yes yes he is poor old amy well i mean you know she yeah i can't he does he absolutely does (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he absolutely does. He's, he's horrible to her. Um, I love the relationships in Fright Night in terms of Charlie and his friends and stuff. I think, yeah, sorry, don't know what I'm trying to say here. George, jump in, Mercer. You're in your trade to me, you love Fright Night, which you've said. We get it. Uh, <laughs> I think Fright Night is, is a fun film as well. I like... Um, I like just some of the little subtle things that it includes. Um, so, you know, like right at the very, very beginning when um, he's watching or he's got Peter Vincent on teller mm-hmm. and the telly's on and we see Peter Vincent got a steak of vampire. Except he's got the steak the wrong way around. <laughs> so he's got the pointed end towards it and the flat end. It just kind of, it just sets up the fact that Peter Vincent is just an incompetent kind of person who is not really, you know, is not somebody you would go to for help, even as a vampire slayer, when you watch how, like, you can't even hold a stick. 
I do love oh. in that scene as well, like the blood shoots up on his face and hits him in the eye. <laughs> Proper disgusted by it. <laughs> but no, I, 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 so I like the little things in it. I've got to tell you though, Evil Ed, he pops up in my notes a lot. The first one is just, I don't like Evil Ed. He don't feel real. He's, I don't, he's not. That's the thing. He's, to me, Ed is playing this character of an emphasised high schooler. I mean, they, they don't look like they're in high school, any of them, for a start, by the way. They're like, they're fucking mid-30s and they've got jobs. But... Mm, mm, I can mm. believe Charlie is quite young. <laughs> no, mate. Not yeah. at all. Yeah, if you... Yeah, she's 40. <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah. yeah, if you're 150, you'd look at him and go, that man looks quite young. Amy does look like... Amy does look like a soccer mom. Yeah. Uh, about 10 kids already. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she's tired. <laughs> she's tired. But she's tired. Um, but anyway, back to Evil Ed. Mm. Just so you know. So, yes, my first note was I don't like him. And then we all know what happens to poor Ed. He becomes a vampire. Where I then, my note is, oh my god, he's even more annoying as a vampire. He's, he's an annoying character. He absolutely is. And then my last note on him upsets me because it's just, this is it exactly. Oh, fuck off, Ed. You're more annoying than me. So, I IMDB'd him after. That's what you do. What's he up to these days? Let's have a look-see. And he's done a lot of porn. Like, a lot of gay porn. And I have written down three of my favourite titles that Stephen <laughs> Jeffries has done. I'll do them in descending order. First one is Semen Training Day. Because what is involved in that? Do you know what I mean? What kind of... Might be a naval instructional video. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Judging by what it was sandwiched in between, pun intended... It absolutely is not. The next one is Butt Blazer. And, okay. my, and mine and Chris's favourite, Latin Crotch Rockets. And these are our recommendations for anyone who's listening. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I am quite curious about Latin Crotch Rockets. Because what if it is like actual rockets? <laughs> You say we just don't speak Spanish, and crotch, crotch happens to be like, like space program. <laughs> he's off doing another fucking instructional video. Maybe this isn't porn at all. Maybe he's just doing company promos. You know, it's safe to say that he's a man who's never been afraid of a bit of wood. Truth, truth. <laughs> also with Evil Ed, and I, I know, I know it's my film, and I'm supposed to be defending it, but I'm going to bring it up. Why does he turn into a dog? Because I think the idea of the film and vampires is that they get to turn into a creature. There's like Jerry, Jerry Dandridge turns into a bat. But I'm sure in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Dracula can turn into a bat and a wolf. Okay. I think it's probably just pulling on the history of like vampires, Dracula, and the you're given an alternative form that you can present yourself in. Do you reckon it's like school sign-up day? So someone gets there first, they're a bat, 
I turn up half three in the afternoon and I'm a fucking ferret. <laughs> I, I would kill to see a vampire turn into a ferret. That would be the best. I think it'd be quite cool because you're quite fast. Yeah. You get on people's legs. Not that that's what I'd be wanting to do. I'm not a deviant. I don't know, that came pretty quickly, Mercer, so... I almost feel like every week I present myself as a pervert, a yeah. sexual pervert, editor, a, a prayer of the week, but I'm not. I'm in a committed relationship. You're yeah, yeah, absolutely not. You weren't talking about banging vampires not ten minutes ago. Mm. Maybe I am. Anyway, back to your film. Back to my film. What, what about Fright Night? Well, I mean, obviously, Jerry Dandridge is the best vampire of all time. Give me some eggs with that ham, sir. Because he is fucking hamming it up all over the place. Clearly gay. Very clearly gay now. He definitely is. I'm not having it. I know that he, he takes Amy and Amy's supposed to be like the reincarnation. Nah. He's, he's made it to 80s now. He's decided he's, he's for men. Definitely. It's so sexual between him and his living servant, manservant, we said, yeah? Yeah. It, it's obvious. It's sexual every time he's on screen. He's a man who's never had a soft core porn soundtrack he doesn't like. Every time he rocks up, simp kicks in, <laughs> I expect him to start taking his clothes off. Semi-disappointed he doesn't. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, all that being said, and, you know, the fact that Amy's supposed to be in high school and he's seducing her on a dance floor. I think it's the longest, most boring scene in the film. I'm just like, come on now. Let's let's move on. You've got her. Just take her away. Why do we have to have a dance scene that goes on forever? Why do we have to watch her very rubbish like hold herself in a position <laughs> which completely yeah. different to the she's got her hands when she's actually with him in the mirror? She's like, and she looks, that look on her face is so bizarre. Mm. Like, it's, it's not shock and it's not fear. It's, it's like, I don't know what it is. It's blind, but wide-eyed. Yeah. Wide-eyed blind. And Amy, uh, Amy as well has one of the weirdest transformations in that when she turns, she looks nothing like her former self. Her hair's grown. Her mouth is like reaching to her ears. I like Amy as a vampire with a mouth because I think it's uh, it, it's quite comical. Yeah. That in but she still retains a human self. It's just a massive mouth. Um, she looks like a Joker or something, yeah, or, or yeah. A, like that. And I think it's quite funny. Um, I think again, I guess that it's that whole when you become a vampire, you're supposed to become the best version of yourself. Mm. It's interesting that they thought a better version of somebody is to make them grow their hair. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I know we say that in theory, but when you get to Christmas pig, I don't think that's absolute, That's not the case at all. No. <laughs> in terms of your vampires. Um, but in generally, like, that's the idea, isn't it? You know, well, yeah, yeah, it is. And I just think that I think as vampires have progressed through cinema, people have made them more grotesque maybe because people as you've gone on aren't scared of vampires anymore and you know your you, you aim is to scare so if you're going to do that you need to zhuzh them up a bit just an opinion um, the makeup effects in this are really good 
even when Evil Ed turns into a dog, I think it's it's simply done when he's holding onto the pole and, you know, you get the arm come up and it's, it starts turning human again. For an 80s film, I think it's quite good. Um, and it's practical, which is better. Like, yeah. when it comes to makeup effects, so I do prefer that. There are some things that do kind of bug me about the film, and these are things that bug me about most films in general. Um, I just don't get it. Um, so, like, first of all, when Jerry comes to the house... And it, mum invites him. Yeah. Like, you're a kick-ass vampire. You could literally just kill them both now and get it all done with. But he didn't want to make too much of a fuss. He's planning on staying in the house. And if you just go around killing everyone, like, you know, your neighbours, you're going to draw suspicion. But then, and then I guess Charlie's also an idiot because he, he gives him an option, Jerry, when he's got him by the throat, goes, you know, you've got an option here. And forget about it. And we can both live his lives. And he's like, no. Not really. Um, but I just find it bizarre that, like, there's ample opportunity to get rid of him, and he didn't. Maybe like teasing well, his food, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's the thing with with the whole, as we commented on Lost Boys, when you have the whole mind control and the whole kind of those things, the vampires are always portrayed as they like those mind games. They like, like fucking around with people. Yeah, exactly. They like that messing around with people. Yeah. Um, there's a really funny part of the film, and you've got to agree with me on this. When after, so Peter Vincent's already showed um, Dandridge across, and he's like, "You've got to have faith." And then Charlie shows him one, and Charlie's got faith. Yeah. Dandridge opens his mouth really wide and just goes, "Oh!" oh. oh. <laughs> is, what is that? Oh no. I don't know him freaking out. <laughs> oh, bad. It's funny though, but it's bad. I'll tell you yeah. what, they missed a real trick by not having George Michael on the soundtrack for that. They could have had Faith kicking at that point. That would have been a... <laughs> yeah, not much in where his soundtrack this one is, they? It's more 80s, it's very 80s porn music. It's... Yeah. Yeah. But that would have also, just while, I mean, two things. First of all, I did actually look in my notes here and um, for his living partner, he's apparently a living carpenter and I put that as 80s code for gay. So, you know, always oh, got a living carpenter. Uh, <laughs> he would, he needs it. When Jerry is walking around scraping his nail across yeah. all his banisters, how much did he spend in hockey? Not fucking house proud, is he, at all? But what I was going to say was, if you're going to deck out a house and you plan on staying there, don't cover up your windows with nothing more than a fucking curtain. Paint them, paint them black. Because at the end, Charlie comes in and just rips down the curtain and then the light comes in. It's like, what if there was a strong breeze? Curtain's gone right up. There you go, you've blown up. True, but I, I, I guess Jerry expects to be down in the basement, which he are painted black by the time the sun's coming up. One thing that doesn't make sense is when we've got Amy upstairs as a vampire and then the sun comes through, Dandridge turns into a bat and goes downstairs. But then somehow Amy manages to walk down the stairs through the sunlight and be all like, oh, Charlie. Hmm. Did not think of that. Can't give you an answer there. Can't give you an answer. 
So pretend it didn't happen and move on. Okay. So yeah, to to sum up, again, Fright Night is probably not going to win any awards. I mean, it hasn't. It was made in nineteen eighty five and it didn't win any awards. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a massively fun film, and I think you know, just for an hour and a half, just to turn your brain off, have a bit of fun. Fright Night is the one for you. Let's move on to my pick. So my film is completely different to any of the films that we've chosen uh, or that are in this episode. Uh, when I say completely different, it's still vampire, but it's definitely a different tone than the rest. It's uh, it's based on a play by Moira Buffini, who also wrote the screenplay for the film. It's Neil Jordan directed 2012 Byzantium. So Byzantium is the story of um, a mother and daughter, both vampires, who are literally just trying to survive. So the mother's illegally made the daughter, so they're constantly on the run from the brotherhood. And we're basically just following their story of how they try and move, they have to move from town to town to keep themselves safe and alive. And we've got um, two very different vampires in the film. So we've got Gemma Arterton, who's the, who plays the mother, um, who, Clara, who's a, a very sexual vampire. She, she lived a human life uh, as working in a brothel, um, not through any fault of her own. Um, and she, it's the only thing she really knows is she carries that through into the modern life. And then we've got um, her daughter, um, played by Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan, just so you all know, I watched many, many interviews to get this name right. <laughs> <laughs> a very difficult one. Um, but yeah, Saoirse Ronan, um, she plays kind of like the, the daughter who's thrust into vampire life. Um, again, through no fault of her own, but from Clara trying to rescue her. And all she kind of wants to do is tell a story and not like and connect with people, but she knows she can't. Um, that's basically the story, uh, the idea of the, the story. Um, they end up, you know, getting tracked down and they have to move to a seaside town and everything goes wrong for them because um, Eleanor actually meets someone that she's connect connects with and she shares a story. And it all just goes wrong from there. It's a very, as far as vampire films go, it's a very romanticised vampire film. It's kind of lives more in, like, that mellow... I'm going to say melodramatic, but you know what I mean? The melodrama. It feels gothic. Like a gothic horror. I think it harps very much to... So Neil Jordan did an interview with a vampire. So it very much harps back to that came, that kind of feeling of, yeah, goth, gothic and, it, like, there's an element of eroticism in there and longing and yearning and it's all very, like, emotive rather than violent. It, it's weird you say eroticism because in the description for it when we were watching it, it's described as an erotic fantasy horror and I, I didn't find it... I didn't find erotic... In it, like I didn't think it portrayed that. No, I don't think. I think that's Amazon Prime having really mislabeling 
this film. But you said it as well, so maybe it's something I've missed as I've been watching. I guess it's just the potential of the definition. So for me, the there's like eroticism for me is where there's quite like the, there's a core underlying version of like lust and 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 sexual desire and need. And I think Gemma Arterton's character is a very lustful, sexual being. Um, again, she's kind of made that way, but even once she becomes a vampire, she's still, her, her yearning and need for blood is a lot more evident and, uh, yeah, forceful, powerful than mm. Eleanor's, for example. So Eleanor takes a very moral stance and, and doesn't kill for food, as in, she, oh, well, she kills for food, but she doesn't kill just anybody. She, her victims are people who've reached a point in their life where they said that they've, they want to leave this world, they want to die, mm. and that's what she feeds on. Whereas Clara's, you know, still very, and she'll she'll kill whoever she needs to to get what she wants. And again, the eroticism. I think so I think all vampires are quite got a, a sense of eroticism about it. Mm. But the difference with like Fright Night, for example, is not Fright Night. Forget Fright Night. No, yeah, no. They're they're all both quite erratic. Think of the kills. Think of the way like he the way Jerry Dandridge seduces the women and and the way. Like, it's all very sexual when mm. he's going to eat them, feed. And even in Lost Boys, the whole interaction between David and Michael is, a, in my opinion, is a very underlying kind of sense of sexual tension. Yeah. I think there's always an element of eroticism to, to vampire oh. films. Fair enough. In my opinion. It's interesting that you said it was a play initially because the, the one... Well, not the one good thing, that's not true. One of the standout things for me about about Byzantium is the storytelling of it. And that makes complete sense if that came from a play. It definitely shows on the screenplay. Because it, it's, it's storytelling at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is great. The script works brilliantly. The only thing I have an issue with with the storytelling is... I'm perfectly happy to watch them struggle day to day and how they're surviving as vampires in a modern world and the two halves of them. For me, I didn't need any of the backstory about why I why like she the is the way she is. I like the backstory. Uh, I, I think that, for me, the backstory is the only way the film would work. So I think it gives you an understanding of Clara and her only real concern is to keep Eleanor alive and safe from the day she was born to, to, to the day that she turned 112 years old or 200 mm. years old or whatever she is. Um, so I think it's quite important. Plus, <laughs> it's not, not nice. I liked the, the idea of how she become, who she be, like why she became what she became and, you know, the, the circle that she took and the way that she were able to take... Uh, ultimately, like a revenge on Johnny Lee Miller. I can't pronounce the character's name. It's Ruthian or something. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I like I like the backstory. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I fucking love the film, and I love the film because it's not constantly in your face. Mm. 
with it. It's it's something that it allows you to think and it allows you to move along on a journey and it doesn't really force like the violence in your face. But when there is violence, it's really graphic. That first kill, which is why off. Yeah. So Clark chased by the guy, uh, the order, the brother <laughs> I've got to say, I don't like the name. What is it? Brotherhood of Nails or something. Yeah, something like that. I'm like, no, you can fuck off with that shit name. Uh, do not like that. Uh, but when he finds her, he chases her through the street uh, and then, you know, gets her home and she gets like cheese wearing. I just think that looks so good, the way mm. she's just like, fuck it. Doing ya. I've got to do ya. Um, I, I think that's pretty awesome. Just going to say, not as Ali's subtle in covering their tracks when they hear when they when I finish off. Set fire to everything. And, yeah, and considering the daughter is quite the moral the moral compass there where she's like, Oh no, yeah, I don't I'll only take people who actually want to go. She doesn't run around knocking on all the doors for all the flats for the people who are gonna die in the house fire. Because it's I think the idea is to destroy evidence in it. Um you're right, she doesn't go and tell people, but you know, they live in a scummy neighbourhood, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, that don't that don't mean um, no, you're right, um, but I think I think there's a probably the the will to survive is more important sometimes. So she can't really take a time knocking on doors, can she? Saying FYI, we've just set house on fire because someone might not be happy with that. Can we just take a moment to talk about the accents in this film because it's such a mismatch. Like, I, I, sorry, how do you say a name? Uh, Saoirse. So her accent and Gemma Arterton's accent, even though they've been travelling, Gemma Arterton, yeah? Yeah. Even though they've been travelling together for hundreds and hundreds of years, they've still got different accents and, oh my God, don't get me started on Caleb's accent because fucking hell. <laughs> do not get me started on Caleb. I don't know why they've got different accents, other than pro- potentially they're just clinging on to what they know. I mean, they, they will have got different accents initially because she was brought up in a private orphanage that was funded. So she would have, she, she was educated. Yeah, mate, but we've got a friend who moved to Scotland and developed a Scottish accent. So she, she's left that place 200 years ago. She, she should have picked up a different accent by now. But it depends on which you socially interact. Uh, yeah. So the idea is, in my opinion, she doesn't really socially interact, does she? She writes a story and she throws a story away all the time. And the only time she really interacts is when she's feeding, mm. um, potentially. I don't think she develops, I don't think she's surrounded by the accents. Also, it's modern world and, you know, she... she Probably surrounded by a multitude of accents. Gemma Addison's very cockney. I do find her accent a little, like, I don't know where hers come from because mm. they never seem to have lived in London. I don't like, know. Like, for they probably have, but she's very cockney. Um, and something like that, yes, you're right. I could imagine Shersha picking up if she lived in a very cockney area. Yeah. Especially back in the 1800s or whatever year we were in. Um, but you 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 did you did really hit a nerve and a soft uh, like a nerve with me when you said Caleb's accent. 
Because where the fuck is he from? <laughs> and also, why does he not sound like either of his parents? One of his parents sounds American. The other one sounds Northern. And he sounds like he doesn't know how to speak. He veers, wild, he veers wildly from Irish to Eastern European. I, I have no idea where his accent's from. And if you're going to punish the entire movie for that, then fuck yeah. you. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to no, because I, as I say, I quite, I, I actually quite enjoyed Byzantium, but he is just awful in it. He is terrible in it, and he's a good actor. Oh. That's the thing; he's a really good actor. As you know, he's in Get Out. He's fantastic in that. But I actually think he's quite good in it, as as far as like the character building. I like all the slower character builds. I like the way the film builds up. I like. The some of the scene. Oh, I really like David. The guy who she moves in with. Yeah. I feel and for I him. Think she, I think she liked him as well. I don't think she wanted him dead. No. No, no. She um, cle- they clearly bond when they she clearly has empathy for him when they first meet and it goes from it goes from there. So she's immediately immediately disarms disarms her with his uh it's quite tragic, full of like quite tragic uh, tale. And he and he didn't die. He, he, it's not like he was eaten or drained no. or whatever. It, it was an accident how he died. So, but yeah. And then, like I said, I think the deaths so are quite brutal. So, I think my favourite is when um, Gemma Arterton kills Ruthian or Johnny Lee Miller. The way she just runs up that corridor and just starts whacking him in the neck. With a nail, like she just don't give a fuck, but she's protecting her daughter, and that's um, and I think it's quite sad that you know he had to make a daughter a vampire because he'd infected her mm. with. I'm guessing I don't know what he would have had, like leprosy or something. Yeah, something like that. Probably syphilis or something in them days, which would kill her. Mm. Um, I thought that was quite. It was quite sad that she. She had to make her daughter what she is if to, to keep her alive. Yeah. But then also quite selfish because she says herself when she realised that she were immortal, immortality is lonely. Yeah. So. But she wouldn't have known that at the time. She were quite new to the whole thing, because she she'd not turned long before her daughter had she. But she'd been banished immediately from the brotherhood. Hmm. So she she does say uh, that's why she kind of started. Going and watching a daughter grow up. Just as a side note, with the brother, where we're saying obviously people being hundreds of years old, so they're so they're with the coppers round as the bodies start piling. So they they're there with the CSI guys when they find the first victim, and then they're there when they find the body on the beach as well. Because obviously they look and they see it's a vampire kill when they when they look at the neck. Obviously, you don't just I imagine you don't just wander into the police and start wandering into a crime scene. You have to actually be in them. Or in the police to actually be able to go and go and do these things. Do they not wonder why they've got a two hundred year personnel file on them? <laughs> going, oh, I just need, I'm going to need a copy of my employment contract. Yeah, I'll just get the parchment out. Semantics. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Little things like that, yeah, don't make sense. But overall, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm shocked that you both. That you, I'm shocked you're saying you don't hate it, Chris. I imagined it would probably be a little left field as a vampire film for you. Um, 
I'm shocked that I like it mm. because I'm not a massive fan of some of the cast members or, or their previous work. But in this film, they completely kind of blow me away. Um, and I appreciate it. I thought you'd chosen this film when you said you were going with it purely based on the waterfall scene. Because I remember you being blown away by that scene when we first watched it. I did my notes. What <laughs> I put is, I fucking love that waterfall scene. It is good. I think it's awesome. I love that waterfall scene. I love the film. One thing that does baffle me about the film is the ending. And I get it, and I don't, but the fact that Saoirse takes Caleb to almost save him, but then to condemn him to a life that she knows isn't the best life to live. But she is also going to be enjoying it with someone like-minded, and I think that's the whole thought process behind it, is she's met somebody who gets her and understands her and who she likes, and she wants to live her own life with him. So whilst, you know, she's got her experiences from before, she probably thinks it's different going forward, and that together they will be okay. I think the... The worst thing about having to go to that, that island and obviously go through that process is probably when you hit the queues when you get there. Because for a mysterious island where you can turn people into vampires, they just hop on a boat and they're, they're away. She so go, goes, oh, where do you need to go to? Vampire Island. Oh, of course, I go there all the time. Chris, did you not pay attention? There's a secret mama. <laughs> Yeah, That's it's so called different. it's called Google Maps only. <laughs> anyway, I feel this film deserves a lot of praise and a lot of love for for what it presents. It 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 doesn't you know it doesn't rely on vampire transformations. They don't even have fangs. They kill with a nail on the thumb. Um, it's I think it's a nice slow build film that's it's character driven and it's got a search shot run in it is completely amazing in it and i think this should be our, our best vampire film right so final choice and for many it's going to be the best choice judged in by the sheer amount of picks that it's got when we open it up to the listeners it is 1996's from dusk till dawn. Whoop. Exactly. Whoop is damn right. <laughs> From Robert Rodriguez. I'm going to start having a go at his name again. <laughs> Robert Rodriguez. Sorry, Robert. On directing duties, along with Quentin Tarantino handling the script. If you don't know the plot, a very quick breakdown. So, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino playing two brothers, Seth. And Richie. Richie has broken Seth out of jail during a daring courtroom escape. They are fleeing down to Mexico to go to the shelter of El Rey, where they will be harboured for a slice of their loot. On the way there, in order to get them there, they have to cross the border and so enlist the unwilling help of Harvey Keitel, a fallen preacher. And the rest of his family. And there you have it. That is the synopsis. Oh, and sorry, the biggest part here. We go to where they need to wait for the guys from El Rey to turn up. 
And shit goes mental because everyone's fucking vampires. <laughs> who knew? Who, kn- who knew? Who knew that would happen? That really good. Oh, thank you. Appreciate oh, it. Does everyone remember the first time they watched this film? Yes. Yes, because I watched it. I watched it with my good friend Stuart Band. We watched it on VHS. Hide it out from the store. I watched it on. Yeah. I think it, no, it was it was something like Telly West Broadband. I think the first time I watched it, you know, where you could hire you'd hire them from your TV, um, and I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was just a, a Quentin Tarantino See, film. That's what I was that's what I was going to say, and that's why it works so brilliantly. This is in the same way, the same way a game of two, the same game of two halves is absolutely correct to plot to spell this out. This is a film of two halves. The first hour is. Essentially, a Quentin Tarantino film. In the script, the storytelling, the script work, obviously because he wrote it. But if you didn't know he had a hand in it, you would pick that up as Tarantino esque immediately. Mm. And then the last half hour or so is exactly what you expect from a man who did Spy Kids <laughs> and Desperado and those other brilliant. He knows how to handle action scene, and when things go mental, it starts kicking off. It's absolutely brilliantly done with massive amounts of flair. The script in particular is amazing. It's, it's George Clooney's... I've not seen George Clooney in that many films, I'm not going to lie. I'm more of a George Clooney from ER kind of person. But for me, this is absolutely his best role. And we, we watched the bloopers as well, and man... He's a man who fucks up his they, lines a lot. They go through a lot of tape when George is on set. <laughs> and he gets really angry he as does. well, doesn't he? The worst. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say while we're on about bloopers, the worst. The worst is the poor woman in the first opening scene when they kill the copper in the in this drive in the store and the poor woman who keeps having her head bounced off the table because Tarantino needs another run at it. There's also, sorry, blooper time. When George is doing his, his bloopers and he's got that girl held by the hair and he gets it wrong, he doesn't even speak. He just rikes it back <laughs> to a walking... And you're like, poor girl, like, you see her just go, life, um, Honestly, life of an extra. It's not a, it's not, it's not glamorous. We've been there. We've done it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, like you said, uh, I didn't know George Clooney from much other than ER. Apparently, the reason he was presented or wanted on board was that they thought it would be good because everyone knows him as a lifesaver mm. in ER and it was like a complete twist of character taking mm. away lives also interestingly enough read this the role was initially offered to John Travolta but he turned yeah. it down to Pulp Fiction instead I think that's a wise I, move I couldn't imagine John Travolta in this film. No. No. I think Clooney's got that bit of edge on Travolta. Like when you see him snapping, you know that he would snap. If you saw John Travolta do that, you'd be like, take a chill film, mate. And saying about about eroticism through vampire films, George Clooney is a really good-looking man as well. So he's got that real kind of smooth... he's, He's a killer, but he's got that sex appeal that... You can't can't deny he's got it. Let's face it. Mercer ain't gonna deny it, are you, Mercer? I won't deny it because I do think he's uh, he's got a bad boy vibe going on in this film. That you know, 
he kind of want him to pistol whip you. Um, <laughs> we do pistol whip you and then go down. Um, but <laughs> I've completely lost what. I'm yeah, now. yeah, you have. This film does what um, I really like. This, the way these films work, um, Byzantium does it as well. This film leads character is a badder. He murders people. Um, he's, he's not a nice person, yet he's our hero. And I love an anti-hero mm. because you're rooting for him to survive. Even though it's his fault that that family died, it's, you know, it's his fault that a lot of bad things happen. Well, it, it's, it's all his fault. It's, a, it's, a, it's, that, whole, it's that whole family you actually who are nasty people you want to live. It's like Tarantino dies. And you're still sitting there going, oh, Tarantino died, that's, an, that's annoying. But he's a man who's a rapist, isn't it? A proper... Killer. A killer, a rapist, uh, not a very nice person. Yeah. But that's their, their brother their brother dynamic. Although you, can't, although you although looking at them, you wouldn't believe they're brothers in any way, shape or form. No. Poor old uh, Quentin clearly got the, <laughs> the raw end of that deal if they were. But... You, their actual bickering and their sibling relationship through throughout, is great. I love it. I love the little. I love the little bickering bits and pieces. Especially in the opening scene where you you know you are in the store and he's talking to that deputy like everything's normal, and it seems to be all going fine. Well, I say all going fine for as fine as circumstances allow. And then Tarantino just goes, no, yeah, we made a signal. And he listens to him straight away, like, did you? And, like, immediately starts, to, it, it's, it's just a liar. It's a pathological liar. Yes, and then he does the same when, I mean, I hate it when he kills the, the hostage. The, yeah. If she's caught, maybe. Um, and he's like, I just tried to escape from that. And, he, and he's like, that woman wouldn't have done that. But he still kind of Backs him. keeps... Yeah, on board. And I would, I'm just like, just fucking do him. Do him in. He's on the boat. Family man, you don't do him family, do you? I've got the brewing scene where he knocks him out in the toilet, though, when he won't shut up. <laughs> and then, obviously, we get we bring in Harvey Keitel, Juliette Lewis, and talk about actors whose name you can't think of. And who, to be honest, if they weren't there... It wouldn't really make a huge difference to the plot of the film. I think I, I feel really bad saying I that. I think his but... first name's Martin. I think Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Ernest. Ernest Liu is uh, is the actor's name. Okay. I say actor, but I'm using that term loosely. Sorry, Ernest, if you are if you're also listening listening to this. But anyway, so Harvey Keitel, the preacher, has lost lost his faith. And his wife. And his wife. Well, that's why, why he's lost his faith. She's died. He hasn't just gone down Sainsbury's and forgotten where he's put her or something. No, it's fine. <laughs> As, it's believable. I don't want to say I said it, the plot's believable. There's vampires who kill everyone in a titty bar. But his, his actual relationship and his actual need to go along with what George Clooney and Tarantino want him to do, you do actually go, yeah, that's fine. I can, I can get on board. I can suspend disbelief. For this and Harvey Keitel, always watchable no matter what role he's playing. I bet he really let loose with this one as well because it's not a typical Harvey Keitel role, is it? No, it's not a heavy drama kind of. It's not bad. It's not bad lieutenant or whatever. Another heavy meteor 
roll. So you get to have a bit of fun and go, yeah, just go, just go nuts with it. Once you get, once you get there, just go wild, do what you want. So obviously, Dust Till Dawn has. Uh, we were talking about you know looks of vampires and stuff, and Dust Till Dawn does go a bit crazy with its makeup. And um, we were discussing as we were watching it, saying maybe. It is different. It depends on how long you've been a vampire as to the look you get. It's a different eras sort of thing. But that's because some of the vampires are still very human-like, mm-hmm. and some are like completely mashed up. You, you want to tell me why Tarantino turns into Frankenstein, though? <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna say that's the that's thing because Tarantino and Tom Savini. Both kind, of, they have the same kind of look as they turn. Yeah. But the commando Vietnam vet, whose name again has completely escaped me, name dropping names all over the place, or forgetting names all over Frost. the place. Huh? Frost. Fred Williamson. Right, yes. Frost. He when he turns, he's got a full on evolved look going. Yeah, full kind of prophetic look going on his his transformation bugs me in particular not not the look of him it's the speed of it so it took tom and he's always bugged me it, took, it takes tom sabina like quite a while to turn you see it coming through you see the fangs coming through and stuff like that but he is bitten and instantly just fucking turns straight away that used to bug me but i've created my own scenario as to why <laughs> And I think it's because Savini is fighting becoming a vampire. He's, you know, purposely trying to focus and stay normal. Whereas Fred, I don't know, Fox, I don't think he's got that same fight in him. So okay. he gets bit, and I think it's just a case of I've been bit on the turn. Right. But remember, no one knows Savini's been bit, so he's doing everything he can to pretend to be normal. I mean, that, um, that's... I, that scene in turn does obviously lead to the masterpiece of a scene where all the bats just fucking fly in behind him. Terrifying! Bat piss Terrifying. everywhere. Can I just say though, you, like, we're talking about master scenes, we're master scenes, miss a couple. So first of all, poochie, poochie, poochie. Right. So... It's problematic now. <laughs> it is problematic. Um, I looked up how many times he says pussy, and apparently there are 17 types of pussy, 18 if you include, whoa, we got apple pie pussy, so 18 different types of pussies. We've got horse pussy. Um, I just think that's for that. I used to have that as my ringtone back in day. Yeah, so, you know, as you... In Tarantino alone. He literally is well known foot fetish, obviously. 
Um, but you know that the minute he saw Selma Hayek, he was like, I am fucking writing this scene in. And do you know what? So, Selma Hayek's scared of snakes. <coughs> She's scared of snakes. Um, and she, she, she almost didn't take the role. And she took, she got over a fear of snakes because he was like, well, if you're not going to take it, Madonna's going to do it. She'd, fucking, she'd take it all on her own. She she'd, she'd wipe out the whole team. She was like, fuck yeah. Muscles. <laughs> she has muscles, isn't she? Like, the only other person who could have done that is Demi Moore. Um, just saying. But that dance sequence is pretty awesome. And the song that she's dancing to is my favourite song from, from Just Till Dark. After Dark. After Dark. Love Dark Knight is so... my favourite. I fucking love Dark Knight. Uh, no, I see. I love it when they first get in there, and I love that kind of. <laughs> yeah, I love that because because it's got that kind of. Obviously, it's got that Mexican, folksy kind of part, that kind of style. But it's yeah. very, but it's very punk esque and very kind of, a bit fast tempo and like yeah. If I was drinking that kind of bar, that's exactly what I, the song I want them to be playing. Yeah when you come in, that mariachi type of feel, but then when you've got a sexy dancer on... Saying, saying that as well, it's obviously, it's not not something I'd ever want to do and go, when people go to like lunches and stuff, and you see in the States when they go to like strip club and they got buffets and stuff like that, and it's not something I've ever felt the need to go and do. But who who else, apart from the would not love to go and have a beer in that place and pop in? Oh yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But also be able to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a banging yeah, soundtrack. Think... Absolutely is. The soundtrack's amazing. Uh, Santanico, uh, Pandemonium is fantastic. The introduction by Danny Trejo to um, her is um, not fantastic. What do you mean? Just throw that out there. He's quite weak in this film. Do you know what I think? Quite weak? Weak, yeah, like performance wise. Uh, no, no, I think he's just been Danny Treasure. He's not got, be fair, he's not got a lot to do. Exactly, so do it well. <laughs> he's, he's like, he, like in most of his films, he's got that gritty kind of like really powerful like delivery, I think. I'm not going to say he's great, like acting, but his delivery is always really strong. And I just thought, it's, uh, Pandemonium, Centenico. No. Nah. Very weak. I like thought, people like me do. I thought he was, I thought he was fine. I thought he just, for, for what he had to do, he does it perfectly well. I've no perform, no problem with Danny Trejo's performance. No, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm absolutely fine with it. I, I was just looking at my notes and I'm saying I didn't know if it was the case with Cheech Marin whether they were doing some sort of throwback or reference to something like maybe in old films where people were used more than once or whether they were just getting the money's worth with him because three roles in one film he he was he's that stoned as i said he has just literally forgotten that he turned up the day before to film a role he's turned back up he probably lived like seven or eight hour drive away so he's turned back up they're gone oh fuck's that they're gone he's here again there's like cheech has turned up it's like, well, we can't send him on back again. It's a 10-hour drive. Write something in for him. So that's how they just write something in, and that's what happened. 57 days of shooting. They only included three of them. I think Cheech plays multiple roles in quite a lot of his films, actually. Does they? Okay. That's probably yeah, it, then. That's probably what it is. 
think it's just something he does because he's. I love him. I think he's quite talented. Um, he does. A, he's good. He does a good sleazy stare. So after, in my opinion, then I think this film's got one of the the kind of quickest like flips in the way in what we're watching, and I think it's awesome just the way like the bar someone there like we she turns they start shooting up. All dancers are like everyone's a fucking vampire. The the band is, the band's playing like a torso. I love that bit. Well, so it's those little details. So it's like the band playing the torso. It's like when they kill one of the vampires, its eyes roll into the pockets when they <laughs> when they kill it on the pool table. So one, so this is where I. Do so you know when we talked about fright and the effects in Fright Night with the vampire changes and things like that? I think that does the the changes of the death much better than From Dust Till Dawn. I think the CG that's used in From Dust Till Dawn is quite poor. I guess it's like early CG, but specifically when like Chandelier falls on Salma Hayek, mm. I think that's really. I think that's the only thing that really gets my go about this film. Well, that and um, Scott Ernie, Scott Fuller. Oh, he why? Go. He's nice. He's no, he isn't. He really is. You must have been cheering when he dies. That's uh, you were like, yes. Yeah, I like cleaning up died earlier. Like we've had enough for him now. I like in the um when it obviously does all kick off with the vampires and stuff, the inventive ways in which they're killing them. Like sex machine we is uh Latin. Is lasting is Latin crotch rocket. <laughs> That's what it is <laughs> It all came together perfectly. Um yeah, and um with the way Fred's like putting them on different legs at tables and you've just got four vampire bitches that have just been staked on one table. Clever. Or the scene or where they've got the shotgun through Frost when he's shooting <laughs> the vampires around him and he's and just using the re- have the recoil as he's moving sliding him backwards and forwards. Yeah. Also really good. As you say, lots of nice really just fun. It's just splatterific once we hit the vampire killing. Yeah. Considering for a f- film where when we had the start of it, the first hour, when the cop has killed at the start, it's really quite gritty and really quite ultra-violent. The move then into just a fun house and just gore splatter everywhere. And like you were saying, the first time you watched it as well, when, you know, because in 90s, mid to late 90s, Tarantino were everything. It was like a new style back then. And obviously people have copied it since and whatnot. But... um the way you sat there watching, like, this is really good, the script's really good, the acting's really good. Oh, yeah, they've made it through, thank God, even though I, I shouldn't be rooting for them, but I am. And it just fucking flips, and you're like, vampires? The fuck? What the fuck? Like, it comes out of nowhere. And I think that that's, that's what makes this a Brilliant. unique, yeah, unique film, yeah. And then I don't, I, I don't even mind the... I say I don't even mind the ending. I love, I love From Dust Till Dawn. I fucking but love the, the ending. The ending could be viewed as kind of weak by people because ultimately reinforcements just turn up and shoot holes and take the door eventually cave the door in and obviously they explode once the sunlight hits the disco ball and they'll go up so if you if you wanted to criticize you could look and go well that's kind of weak they were there facing certain certain death and then just the cavalry turns up and they're saved 
But that's sometimes what happens. Yeah. The, the end, the, the bit at the end for me where it pans away, where she's driving off and you see the back of the titty twister just covered in trucks and blood. And this has been going on for centuries. I fucking yeah. love that shot. What I love is the fact that Juliet Lewis has just lost her mum previously died. She's just lost a dad and a brother. She's got nobody left in the world. She's like 60 years old and she like goes to a kind of commune and he's like, Nah, go on. As he says, I might be a bastard. I'm not a fucking bastard. But I, I think that's worse. Just anyway, Julia. <laughs> she got some money. Yeah. Like, you playing to everyone you know where you where your daddy and your brother have gone. <laughs> it's fine. Try no no dramas. So, in summing up, why you should vote from Dust Till Dawn as Beth Vampire film? Do you love an hour of a tight as fuck Tarantino script? Reminiscent of Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Do you like the man who did Spy Kids? Would you like to see him then have Tarantino and George Clooney take on an entire titty bar full of vampire vampires and splatter and gore and blood and carnage and a disco ball that makes them explode at the end? If you do, then please vote from Dust Till Dawn. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we will be getting our shiz out soon, yes? Um, so we'll get the polls out. Let us know who you want to win. Will it be Fright Night? Will it be From Dust Till Dawn? Will it be Byzantium? Or will it be Lost Boys? You decide. See, I did that. I'm sure that was like something from 90s. The you decide thing. Big Brother. Big Brother. See, I took it all the way back to Big Brother. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back with our results show, and please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye, everybody.